right, thank you. Okay, we've already answered three questions, right? Does, does anyone remember the questions? What was the first question we answered? Who is Jesus? And who is Jesus? He's our God, He's our Lord, and He's our Savior, right? And then we learned about the gospel, right? What is the gospel? And we learned four words to help us understand and remember the gospel. They are God, man, Christ, response. Good. And then last night we learned about what? What was the question we answered last night? Don't cheat. I saw someone. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, that was that was uh, yesterday day. Last night we answered a different question. Cost of discipleship. Now, what in the world is a disciple? Help me out. Yeah, a follower. A follower. So we as Christians, we are disciples of who? Christ, right? And there's a cost for discipleship. Does anyone remember what the cost was? There's there's three things that we must do to be a disciple. What's the first thing? Deny yourself, second thing. Raise your hand if you want to say. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. How often? Daily. Daily. And what's the third thing? Follow who? Christ. Christ. Yeah, follow Jesus, the one who we are supposed to be disciples of, right? And today's question, we're going to be looking at verses uh, Luke 9, 24 and 25. And the question we're going to answer today is, what is most important? What is the most important Thing. Now, one of the things that I used to dread whenever I would go to family get-togethers, when I say family, like not just my family, but, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, and all that kind of stuff is, people, my uncles and, and, and aunts and everyone, they'd come up to me and they'd always, they'd always ask me one question. You probably know what question, uh, when I was a kid, right? You probably know that question, you probably heard the question asked many times of you, what do you want to be whenever you grow up, Right? Uh, now, and let me ask you a question. Maybe, maybe some people here, you're not, uh, you're not uh, nervous, you, you, uh, you're not shy. That's the word I'm looking for. You're not shy about uh, maybe what you used to, used to want to be whenever you grew up. If something that you want, what was something that you wanted to be whenever you said you, said you wanted to be whenever you grew up, whenever you were a kid? Yeah. First responder, EMT, right? right yes. Fighter pilot. All right. You still want to be a fighter pilot? No? All right. Things change, don't they? Yes, ma'am. A baker, right? That's good. Yes? A princess. <laughs> who doesn't want who of that of that group doesn't want to be a princess? And what were your goals? How how would you become a princess? <laughs> Still looking for Prince Charming, right? Okay, all right. Yes, ma'am. A mom. Hey, that's a realistic one. Good. A football player? All right. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Professional. Ba- I, oh, man. I'm St. Louis Cardinals fan. And oh. Now, don't tell me you got Pittsburgh Pirate fans here. All right. Philadelphia Philly fans. Okay. All right. I got one, one more hand in the back, and we'll, we'll t- this will be the last one. A what? Soccer player. All right. Good deal. So things change over time. And, and, and whenever we're kids, we have these huge, grandiose ideas like becoming a princess or becoming a fighter pilot or becoming an astronaut or becoming the president of the United States or, or something like that or, or the president of the world. You know, kids have crazy ideas. But then whenever we get older, we realize that maybe those ideas, ideals are not realistic. 
and we, we change them to much more realistic goals, uh, much more realistic uh, ideas. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with dreaming about the future. There's nothing wrong about, about trying to, dis- you know, when you're a teenager, you go from, like, being a, wanting to be a fighter pilot and an astronaut to, to thinking about, like, what does my dad do? What do my, you know, guys in my church do? What do ladies in my church do? What's something more realistic? And, and, and what, what kind of a house would I like? What, what kind of a hobby would I like to have? What kind of a job would be real, realistic for me? And, and, you know, our goals change over time. Uh, this is normal. There's nothing wrong or sinful to dream about the future. But as you're in this time where you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about sculpting a new life uh, uh, in the future, uh, the mo- you need to get one thing settled, and that is you must understand the most important thing, the thing that should regulate all of your future decisions. And that's what we're going to talk about in this sermon. So look with me. We looked at 23 last night. Now we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. In fact, let's repeat verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this group. Help us to get focused on your will for our lives, losing our lives for your sake, which is the most important thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've already talked about uh, several different things. We've already answered who is Jesus, what is the gospel, what is the cost of discipleship. In fact, the first two messages were all looking at last night's message. And then the last two messages you're going to see are all pointing back to the third message, what we talked about last night, because that is the cost of discipleship. That's the main thrust of this text. And then if you look at verses 24, 25, and 26, they all start with one word. What's that word? For, okay? That's a, a, a word for, that, that Greek word gar can be translated as because or therefore. Basically, Jesus is giving us reasons for following after him reasons for being a disciple. And we actually see three of those reasons, one in 24, one in 25, and one in 26. And today we're looking, right now we're looking at 24 and 25. A little bit later we'll look at 26. But we see here, it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So it says, if you lose your life, you're going to, If you save your life, you're going to lose it. So uh, this verse is talking about saving your life. What what kind of life do you think Jesus is talking about in this verse? Do you think Jesus is talking about physical life here on this earth? Or is Jesus talking about your spiritual life, eternal life with him? I guess you guys want to answer. I'll let you answer. What do you think? That's, that's a very good answer. Very good answer. So, yes, uh, uh, because in finding eternal life in Christ, you also find a true life of joy and peace, and we're going to talk about that in, uh, in a little bit. So when we look at the context, we understand that Jesus is talking about spiritual life, spiritual life, not, not just physical, temporary life. And here are three reasons why. The first reason is if Jesus was concerned about saving your physical life, he wouldn't have told you to take up your cross. 
Because <laughs> remember, he's, uh, the cross could mean death. It means shame, opposition, suffering, and maybe even death. Uh, the cross means death. Death to yourself, death to your old ways, death to your earthly ambitions, death to your uh, uh, death uh, for many Christians uh, over, over time, over our history of, of faithful churches, people who have stood up for the truth. It meant actual physical death. And verse number 25, it says, if he, what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose, and the next word is himself, right? So his soul or his life in verse number 24 is equated with himself in verse number 25. And then in verse number 26, it talks about Jesus coming back and the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, when he, where he's going to condemn sinners to hell. So the, the context is not talking about a physical temporary life, but a, a, a spiritual life with Christ, eternal life with Christ. When you read the context, it's obvious that it's talking about uh, spiritual life. And it says, if you seek to save your life, in verse number 24, and that word save is, is the same word that's found for saving, uh, Jesus saving people from their sins. And, and, and it literally means to, to, uh, to take from turmoil, right? To save from turmoil, right? Salvation from sin is usually the context of these words. So in our first paragraph, we see that if you're trying to save yourself, your own soul from hell, you will lose your soul in hell. No one can save himself. Salvation is holy of God. We've already, we already talked about that several times. I think you guys know that. So here's a question. If we don't have the power to save our lives, how do we have our lives saved? So the fact that our li- we can't save ourselves does not mean that we cannot be saved. And we see that the way that we have our lives saved or our souls saved, is by losing our lives for Christ's sake. This is a very common command that Jesus shows us in the Bible. Uh, Aside from the command to follow me, this is the most common command that Jesus gives to people, is to lose their lives. So let's do a quick sword drill. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. See if you can find that real quick. I want to read real quickly five verses that talk about losing your life for Christ's sake. All right, you found it. Go ahead. Let's, uh, let's all read that together, right? Matthew 10, 39. What does that say? It says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Great, thank you very much. So if you find your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for Christ's sake, you will find it. Next one, Matthew 16, 25. Go ahead, buddy. That's right. Thank you very much. If you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life, for Christ's sake, you will find it. It's saying the same thing over and over again. Matthew, Mark 8, 35. Go. Wow, that was really quick. Okay. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Now, did you notice a little nuance in Mark that, that wasn't in Matthew? It says, not just for my sake, but also for the gospel's sake. There's a little bit more clarification. You're losing your life, not just for Christ's sake, but also for the gospel's sake. Now look at Luke 17.33. Go. All right. Yeah, go ahead. You're, you're first. Great. Thank you very much. And the last one is... John 12, 25. 
All right, this, this lady in the second row. Thank you very much. So these are the, the five other times we see Jesus commanding uh, his disciples, his followers, to lose their life for his sake. But in John chapter 12, he says it a little bit differently. He says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Four times we're told that if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. But in John's gospel, he repeats something similar, but states it a little bit differently. Uh, this, this occurrence when, John, uh, uh, when uh, Jesus says these words uh, are at the end of his ministry, the ones we see in John. At the end of his ministry, he says, if you love your life, then you're going to lose it. If you hate your life, you're going to keep it unto life eternal. Now, do you remember what we talked about last night when we talked about loving and hating and in this context, Jesus is not talking about despising or, or, or looking down on or just, just uh, having this um, really bad feelings about someone else, right, hating someone. Jesus is talking about a lesser love. Remember that? Uh, a lesser love. When Jesus talks about hating your family and even your own life, uh, he means you need to love them less than you love Christ. The, for a Christian, Christ should be all to us. He should be the most important thing. Loving your life is living for yourself. Hating your life is living for the Lord. Loving your life is seeking your own will for your own life. Uh, uh, doing your own desires for your own life. Hating your life is submitting to God's will for your life. Comparatively, our main focus should not be ourselves and our wants Remember, we are to be subjected to a will of another person, the will of God. Not, we are to deny ourselves. We are to take up our cross, and we are to follow Him. Listen to this. You can either live for yourself, or you can live for the Lord. Those are the only two options. You can't do both. You are either going to live for yourself, or you're going to live for the Lord. Matthew 6 Jesus says, you can't serve God and mammon. You are either the slave of God or you're the slave of the world. You cannot be both, right? Uh, uh, you can live your life doing your own will or you can live your life doing the will of the Lord. I can please Daniel with my life or I can please God with my life. I can't do both. I need to make a decision. You can please yourself or you can please God, you can't do both. It's the same for every single one of us. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for Christ's sake, you will save it. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see these with your own eyes. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Basically, what Jesus is telling his disciples here is what he preached to them whenever he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus, in these verses, is calling his audience to enter in at the straight gate. 
Now, it doesn't mean, remember the word straight is not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, it's S-T-R-A-I-T. And the word earlier that we looked at in our text, uh, it meant rigorously, strictly, but this word actually means narrow. It means narrow, and, and it gives a connotation that there may be some obstacles that you have to go around in order to get to it. So that's, that's the gate that you must enter, the narrow gate, right? Not the wide gate. Now, notice in, in these two verses, there are four twos, okay? So there are two different gates, there are two different ways, there are two different groups of people, and there are two different destinations. Two gates, two different types of people, Two different ways, two different destinations, right? There are four opposites, you could say, in these verses. There's the straight gate, and there's the wide gate. There's the narrow way, and there's the broad way. There are few that go down the narrow way, and there are many that go down the broad way. The narrow way goes to life. The broad way goes to destruction. If you've entered in through the wide gate, then you're walking down the broad way, that leads where? To destruction. And most of the people in the world are going the same direction with you. But we are called to enter in at the straight gate, the narrow gate. Why is that? Because everyone has already entered in through the wide gate. We enter into that wide gate, we start going down the broad way at birth because the Bible teaches us that all humanity is in that same position. We've already entered in through the wide gate. And many, many of uh, humanity, they're continuing down the broad way that leads to destruction. The broad way is the easy way. There's more convenience on the broad way. You know, I've done a lot of traveling around the states, and I, whenever I, tra- whenever I came here, I only took interstate highways, big, wide, convenient interstate highways. Why? Because I want to hit the button on the cruise, and I just want to sit back, and I want to enjoy the ride, right? Uh, my daughter and I, we do a lot of singing and stuff. Where's she at? I don't even know where she is. Did I lose her? There she is. Okay. We like, we like singing and stuff as we go down the road. It's so much easier. If you're taking the back roads and you're gonna, there's a lot of turns, you can't do cruise, you're stopping a lot. Uh, there's, there's, you know, anyways, it's, it's not near as fast, right? I'm willing to pay a little bit of money if I have to, to get down, get on a turnpike so I can go down the Broadway because it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to go down the Broadway. There's a lot more conveniences as you're going down the Broadway. Uh, the, the narrow way is much different. And it was the same way with Christ. During the time of Christ, there were big public, you could say, highways that many people would go down. They're well-trodden. All the obstacles are out of the way. A lot of conveniences along the road. And then there were little pathways that would lead off of the main roads and the, ma- the main broadways. And these little pathways, it'd be like taking a hike. There'd be a lot more obstacles. There'd be a lot more ups. There'd be a lot more downs. It would be more strenuous than walking down a broad, well-beaten pathway. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in this, in this, in this illustration, right? Uh, the broad way is the easy way. The narrow way is, is a lot harder. It's a lot more difficult. The broad way is the way of self-fulfillment. It's living for yourself. It's doing what makes you feel good. It's the way of self-realization. It's the pursuit of pleasure and autonomy. It's, the, it's striving to save oneself. And most people are walking this way. Now, the narrow way is the opposite. It's the way of self-denial. It's taking up your cross daily, and it's following after Christ. It's seeking to please, praise, and honor someone else, Christ. 
And there are few people in comparison that are on this path. Now, here's a question for you. How do you know where you're going to end up in the end? How do you know whether you're going to find life or if you're heading towards destruction? Well, uh, you know, we know that uh, there are only two destinations. And you can examine yourself. You can ask yourself, what am I living for? Am I living for my own pleasure and fulfillment? Am I on the Broadway or am I living for the Lord? Am I seeking to please and honor the Lord with my life? You see, the proof that you've entered the straight gate and that you're headed to life eternal is that you're walking down the narrow way, right? That's how you know. If you sincerely love and serve the Lord, to love the Lord and seek to do His will for your life, then you're on the narrow way. So find peace in that and continue onward and forward for the Lord. You cannot find peace in just simply a profession of faith. Because there are so many people, and I was talking just to this brother right here, Brother Jake. I can't remember his last name. Anyways, it starts with a D, Brother Jake D. And we were talking about how many people in youth camps make professions of faith, make these decisions for the Lord, and they're just empty emotions. Few weeks later, we can't even get them in church. You don't, you know, they forget about these decisions that they've made and, and things like that. You cannot put your faith in simply a profession alone, but in a profession that leads to a present possession. Okay? The fact that you've entered into the straight gate is that you're going down the narrow way. The fact that you know that you're going to life is. You, you see what God is doing in your life. You see God working in your life. It's not just a simple profession, but it's a profession that leads to fruit in our lives. It leads to a present possession. Amen. Now, what's, what verse 24 of our text says, it says, let's go back to our text. Luke 9, 24. It says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So it says, uh, you've not pursued self-fulfillment, but self-denial. To those unsaved people around you, you may be accused of losing your life. They may say, you're wasting your life. You know, you need to live it up. You only live once. You need to cut loose. You need to live free. You need to do what feels good for you. You need to do what everyone else is doing, right? You hear these voices, and, and to the unsaved people around you, they say, you're losing your life. You're wasting your life serving the Lord. You're wasting your life going to church. You're wasting your life reading your Bible and telling others about Christ. It's all just, just a, a sham, right? To them, it seems like you're throwing away your life, but you know that you've actually found true life. Now, I made the comment earlier. You can please yourself or you can please Christ. You can't do both, okay? That's not exactly true. It's true, but it's not exactly true. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you live your life seeking after your own wants, goals, and dreams for your life, you will not please Christ, and because of that, you will lose your life. But conversely, the opposite, if you live your life denying yourself and doing what Christ would have you to do, then you will save your life, and in saving your life, God will shower His blessings upon you and your life, he will change you, change your heart, change your desires and your wants, and your wants and desires will be fulfilled. Maybe I confused you even more. Let me try to answer that again. A life lived in service to self 
will be lost. That is the way that leads to destruction, to hell. It's not a life that is pleasing to the Lord. However, a life lived for the Lord will be saved, and that life will be a life of fulfillment and joy. The reason for this is that a true Christian will strive to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. A true Christian will deny himself. He'll take up his cross daily. He'll follow after Christ. He'll seek to glorify and honor the Lord in what he does and says. He will seek to please his master and his Lord in all things. He'll seek to be a faithful servant of Christ. And also, a true Christian will find supreme enjoyment in doing all that, uh, that God has commanded him to do. He will find more joy in service to the Lord than he ever would in serving himself. Hebrews 11.25, you guys probably know this verse, talks about Moses. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable. We talked about this, I think, last night. Sin is pleasurable, but its pleasures are very short-lived. There's a lot of consequences for sin. You know, you don't see those consequences on the, in the movies. You don't see those consequences on the, on the advertisements and stuff you see. You just see people living it up, and you say, wow, they're really having fun. You don't see the hangovers. You don't see the breakups. You don't see the fights. You don't see the torn-up homes and things like that, that that happen as a result of that type of life. You just see the fun that they're having, and they are having fun. They are having fun. Why do you think people do it? It's fun. But the pleasures of those sins, they're only for a season. It's like a trap, okay? Has anyone ever trapped an animal before? You open up the trap, you put some bait in there. Now, the animal, when he goes into the trap and he gets the bait, he gets something, right? That's why he went into the trap, right? That was the pleasure that attracted him there. Maybe it's cheese, maybe it's peanut butter, maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it's something that he wanted. And he went into the trap and he got what he wanted, but now he's regretting what he did right? He can't get out. And that's the same thing with sin. Sin's pleasurable. You say, oh, this is exactly what I want. You go into that trap, you get it, you enjoy it, you take it in, and then you turn around and you're stuck. Trapped. You've got a kid out of wedlock. Anyways, I've just seen it. I've seen it happen so many times. And we don't, we, you, these people here, they don't want to see that happen with, with you guys. Lose your life for Christ. Sin is pleasurable, but it's only pleasurable for a short season. It's a trap. The reason why a Christian finds more enjoyment in serving the Lord than in living for himself is the Bible teaches, as we've already talked about, he's a new creature. One of the, one of the illustrations I used to use all the time when I was a youth director is that the difference between a, someone who's not a Christian and someone who is a Christian is the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. Okay, if you would have, if I didn't know about the metamorphosis that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly, I would have never believed in my wildest imaginations that that was the same thing. That was the same bug. A caterpillar, what does a caterpillar do? It just lives its whole life to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. What does a butterfly do? He fly, uh, flies around and they pollinate plants. I mean, they have totally different lifestyles, totally different desires. They look totally different. They act totally different. What happened 
with the caterpillar? Did the caterpillar lose weight and, and seek to make some wings for itself and start to learn how to fly? What happened? Did the caterpillar reform itself? No, the caterpillar died in a cocoon and was transformed and found new life. And now it has new life and has new desires. It has new uh, actions because of those new desires. What do you think? Do you think a butterfly would want to go back to its old life and do what it used to do? No, right? A butterfly is a new creation. And if you're a Christian, you've been turned into a butterfly. You used to be a caterpillar, right? You understand the, the, the analogy here, right? We're new creations. Why do we want to go back and, and sit around on a, on a leaf all day, right? Why would we want to do We want to fly. We want to do something totally different. We want to live for Christ. We have new desires. Ezekiel 36 talks about how God gives a new heart. It says, A new heart also I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a real heart. The Bible teaches that we were all born with a heart of stone, a dead heart. But whenever someone's saved, Whenever someone turns to Christ, then God rips that stony heart out of, his, out, of his, out of him and he gives him a real heart. And a heart, that's where we get our desires. That's where we get our wants, right? And the things that I do now, I do not so that I'm saved, but because I'm saved, because God has given me new desires. And it says, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Because a Christian finds more desire, finds more pleasure in serving the Lord than he ever did in serving himself. God gives new desires. Philippians 2.13 says, It's God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is shaping us. He's molding us. You guys remember Ethan, right? Right? Sanctification. God is shaping us and molding us to want to do more, uh, to want to be more like him. So you have two options and only two options. You can live for yourself and living for yourself, living the way that you want to do. If you live that way, you will never be truly fulfilled and you will lose your life. You will end up for eternity in hell. The other option is that you can lose your life for Christ. You can deny yourself and seek to love and serve him. You'll be a new creation with a new heart, new desires, and you'll find more fulfillment in, and joy in serving your king. And in the end, you'll get life eternal with Christ. So which of these two options will you choose? Jesus gives us more perspective in verse number 25. He said, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Listen to this. Even if you were to live your life to the fullest, even if you were to become a princess, and even if you were to become a fighter pilot, right? Even if you were to live your life to the fullest, have anything you wanted, do anything that you wanted to do, right? The, the, I'm talking about the nicest of cars, the nicest of houses, whatever your dream job is, whatever, whatever it is that you desire. If you were to get it all, if you were to gain the whole world, but lose Christ, the Bible says you've lost everything. You've lost everything. You know, you've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you, right? You know, it would be great if there was a person, maybe, maybe during Bible times, that, that lived that type of lifestyle. Maybe he was like a king, 
and he had everything that he wanted and he could have done everything that he wanted to do. And, and you know, it'd be great if maybe that king at the end of his life would have written a book uh, to younger people to tell them about the futility of living a life for themselves. And it would be, it'd be even better if it was given by the Holy Spirit and inspired and, and preserved for us today so that we could look and we can understand what the end result of living for yourself is. But, but that's exactly what we have. Who knows what book I'm talking about? The book of Ecclesiastes, right? So the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to look at verse, chapter number 2. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 9. This was written by Solomon, and God blessed him with wisdom and far more wisdom than any other king ever had, and he blessed him with far more riches than any king ever had, and, 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 and Solomon was supremely blessed. But there was a time later on in his life where he got his heart away from serving the Lord, and he started doing whatever he wanted to do. He started to seek fulfillment in things and others that are not God. So look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll read verses 9 through 11. Solomon says, So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remaineth, remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Whatever I wanted, I got. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, think about it, just like fleshly. I mean, you could have whatever you wanted. And he had that. He said, I had whatever I wanted. I saw it, I desired it, I had it. And then he said, for my, uh, uh, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. I did everything. I tried everything. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was a portion of all my labor. Then I looked upon all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labor that I labored to do. So I, I looked back on everything. After I lived for myself, after I didn't deny myself for anything, everything that I wanted, I got, right? And then uh, and I didn't withhold my heart from any joy. I looked at it, and it says, And behold, all was, three things, vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. The wisest man that ever lived, unfortunately, got his heart away from serving the Lord for a time. And he lived, and he did whatever he wanted. He was the king. Nobody could tell him no. He never heard the word no. He wanted it. He got it. And many people and many, many teenagers maybe are thinking, wow, that's the life. But you know what Solomon said? He says, that's not the life. That's a life of misery. He says, all of that is vain. That, what does vain mean? Empty. Meaningless. All of it was vain. It was empty. It was meaningless. It was worthless. It was a vapor. It wasn't just vain. It was a vexation of spirit. It caused a lot of turmoil in my life. It wasn't just meaningless, but, but it caused a lot of stress. It caused a lot of uh, uh, issues with my life. And there was no profit under the sun. He did everything that he wanted to. He got everything he wanted to get. He experienced everything he wanted to experience. He said everything was empty, everything was turmoil, and there was no profit under the sun. So we can look at verse number 25, and we can answer this question. It's a rhetorical question. What is a man advantage if he gain the whole world 
and lose himself or be cast away? The answer is, the one who gains the whole world yet loses his soul, he's lost everything. He's the most miserable one in the end. He's lived his life for his pleasure, but in the end, he was the most miserable. He's not advantaged. He's not benefited in any way. He's wasted his life. He'll look back on it. He'll say everything was vain. Everything was vexation of spirit, and there was no profit in what I did. Young people, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. There, there have been people who have wasted their lives, and they've told you what it's like to waste their lives. You, you have your whole lives in front of you. Serve the Lord. Lose your life for Christ's sake, and you will never, ever regret it. You will find your life. You will find joy. You will find peace. You will find happiness. You'll find everything that you're looking for only in Christ. Everything else is a futile, meaningless pursuit. Your life is hurrying by. Use it for the glory of God. Teenagers, you were not created for you. You were not created for yourself. You were not created for your pleasure. You were not created to pursue your own desires. You were created for God. You were created for God's pleasure. You were created to glorify God and to do what He wants you to do. And because of that, if you live your life for yourself, you will lose everything. You will be the most miserable. You'll look back on a wasted life with nothing but regret and misery. And in the end, you'll be destined to an eternal uh, punishment for your sins in a horrible place called hell. But... If you lose your life for Christ, if you become his disciple by denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Christ, you will find everything. You'll find life in Christ. You see, God tells us here that the way to find happiness is not by pursuing after happiness, but by following Christ. The way to have fulfillment is not by Pursuing satisfaction in your life, but is seeking to deny ourselves for Christ. And then and only then will we find true satisfaction. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But it's actually God's way. It's the true way. It's the narrow way that few find that leads to life. Teenagers, do you think God is a liar? I hope not. He's not. He is not tricking you, right? How do I know this? And, and I think anyone here that's, that's sought to live their life this way, they can say that God is true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. If he says you're going to find your life by losing it, you're going to save your life by losing it, that's what it means. And when you seek to live for Christ, that's where you find life. Now, this quote isn't original to me, but listen to this. Friends, lose your life. For the sake of Christ, deny yourself. The really wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing on the edge of the the Grand Canyon and uh, and contemplating your own greatness is stupidity. Think about that, right? Standing in front of something so vast, so amazing, thinking how amazing I am 
It's, it's stupid. It's meaningless, right? Uh, at such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside of ourselves. We need to realize that it's God who's the magnificent one, not us. How do I not waste my life? How do I lose my life for Christ's sake? Whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to, to live out that passion, live out that calling that God has for you, and you will make a difference that lasts and you will not waste your life. Jesus says to find your life, to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you gain everything in this world, everything in this world, but you've done it all for yourself, you've lost everything. So the most important thing, young people, is losing your life for Christ. Christ is the most important thing. And the true way to find happiness, peace, joy, everything that you want is not by pursuing after those things, but pursuing after God. And in pursuing after God, He'll give you everything your heart desires. Let's pray.